it going, everybody? This is Brent with the Science of Falling podcast, episode number two. And I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Dan Goodman, D.O. What's up, Dan? How you doing? I'm good, Brent. How are you? And uh, quite the intro. I guess I owe you another five bucks now. I know. It was a lot better than my episode one. You, you'll have to listen to that. It was terrible. It was absolutely no, terrible. I, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, give us a little introduction about yourself, your background, what you're doing. Anything you want. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Dr. Daniel Goodman. I am a doctor of osteopathic medicine. I went to med school at Nova Southeastern University College of Osteopathic Medicine. I did my residency at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. And for the last three and a half years, I've been a hospitalist up here in Maine. Um, And a hospitalist is basically an internal medicine physician that... uh, Practices strictly on hospitalized patients, which is a fancy way of saying, if I'm your doctor, you've probably had uh, better days. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one way to just put a spin on it. That works. I love it. I love it. Well, we were actually talking a lot before we started recording uh, okay. about everything from the uh, COVID-19 situation Ooh. going on to falling and whatnot. And uh, Dan had some good good riffs on falling and I had to stop him before he got too into it. So uh, let's, I guess let's just pick up where we were talking. Like, so you work at a hospital. Oh, yeah. uh, how much do you fall injuries play into your daily practice? Quite a bit. Um, so most hospitals, what will happen is if somebody falls and it's worthy of getting admitted, different departments will wind up showing up in different places. Uh, for instance, one fall, the ER might say, okay, you know what? You fell, you got some bruises, you can go on home. You know, you'll be okay. Other times it's a full tilt trauma uh, where somebody, God forbid, they were, they, they fell, they hit their head and uh, now you need neurosurgery because maybe they were on blood thinners and they're developing a bleed in their brain. Um, for most of my part, uh, the internal medicine department, the hospitals team at a lot of hospitals works in tandem with the orthopedics team. A lot of times what will happen is if somebody falls and breaks their hip, uh, that is a semi-urgent surgery and they need to be admitted. And um, the problem is when you get one of these surgeries, uh, orthopedics is there to take care of the joint and the, or the joint or the bone or whatever, but they're not necessarily going to be able to optimize the patient's medication in a short period of time. And that's where the internal medicine department comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about surgery is the best surgery is an elective surgery where you can set someone up for success. You can start certain medications, you can stop other medications, but in the case of falls or emergent or urgent surgeries, you don't have that luxury. If you're lucky, you might have time to get an EKG if you need one, but um, a lot of times you've got to move quickly because you're swimming against the tide. Um, For instance, uh, let's say somebody fell, they broke their hip, and they've got atrial fibrillation. That's um, where the top parts of the heart aren't squeezing properly. Instead, they're kind of just jerking and kind of moving in a non-concerted fashion, okay. making for a very ineffective beat heartbeat. But the problem is because that top part of the heartbeat is so poor, blood can stagnate there and form clots. So these people are already going to be on blood thinners when they come in. The idea is if they're on blood thinners, the blood that kind of hangs out in the top part of the heart won't necessarily be able to clot. Okay, that's fantastic. But the problem is blood, clot, uh, blood thinners don't play favorites. They don't just stop blood in the heart from clotting. Mm-hmm. They stop all blood from clotting. 
when it comes to an orthopedic surgery, clotting for blood is pretty important. Yeah, so, I, would, um, I would assume. I, you're, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> so the idea is if you get somebody who fell and broke a hip and they're on a blood thinner, you've got some work to do. There's a lot of tricks around dealing with it. Um, some blood thinners like uh, Warfarin or Coumadin have uh, have reversal agents. Other ones, um, one of the new newest generation of blood thinners does have an antidote, but it's, um, oh God, uh, I think it's like $50,000 a vial. So. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. I, hey, look, they, they got to the finish line first. They can charge what they want, but that's really more for emergent bleeding. Like if somebody's actively bleeding in a, you know, a brain bleed, but this illustrates the importance. What I've described here is a set of dominoes. Now, what if there was a way bonus points if it's inexpensive yep. to stop the dominoes from falling? What if we could teach people a better way of falling? What if instead of falling and banging that hip winding and landing in the OR, what if they could roll? Um, protect your head, protect your limbs, or protect your head, protect your trunk. What if mm -hmm. we could turn that broken hip into nothing or possibly, you know, a broken rib or if necessary, a broken wrist? All inconvenient things, but they won't land you in the OR the way, um, the way a broken hip can. Yeah, and the broken hip's going to disable you way more than a wrist or rib or anything else will. Absolutely. To say nothing for the fact that I think we were talking about this, uh, if you fracture a long bone, in, if you fracture one of your long bones like the femur, which can absolutely happen, you can be at a higher risk for a, a special kind of embolism called a fat embolism because when that bone breaks open, fat can get into the bloodstream and wind up setting up shop in the lung. And, you know, there are just so many comorbs. It's gotten better because orthopedic medicine is just fantastic. You know, uh, in a previous era of medicine, before the digital age and before <laughs> this gosh darn virus, um, you know, you, you kept somebody in a hospital bed, you put traction on their leg, and the, comor uh, the, the mortality rate was astonishing. You're just hoping for the best at that point. Absolutely. Jeez. Absolutely. Um, but I, I actually had one pretty fascinating event. This woman, God, she must have been in, I want to say her late 80s, early 90s. Uh, she looked fantastic. Um, one of my favorite movies, Indiana Jones, he said it best when he said, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Damn straight. Um, damn straight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she was cross-country skiing most of her adult life as a frame of reference. That means when neither of us was born, she was still rocking and rolling up with cross-country skis. Um, she came in with some broken ribs. Um, I think maybe she had a broken wrist, but uh, she was too fragile to just be at home by herself. So we were admitting her to find her a safer place to stay. But she told me as she was falling, she said, you know, as I was falling, I tried to roll as best I could. And from the way she described it, I find myself certain that because of that roll, she saved herself a trip to the OR. I yeah. told her that I told her that much. And a few days later, off she went to the uh, to a skilled nursing facility, which uh, to help get her stronger and help her mobilize more without having to have gone through a surgery. Um, one thing people should, should know is by sheer merit of its nature, orthopedic surgery is fundamentally not low risk surgery. 
it's it's not you know it's it's not an outpatient procedure it's not um gonna consult dr dr google you're gonna make sure i'm giving you the right information dr google the best Dr. google ah absolutely dr google and of course professor wikipedia but we we, we can circle back to that <laughs> never trust professor wikipedia never trust professor wikipedia false degrees false degrees all right that's fair um but yeah, tight, uh, intermediate risk surgery uh, with a cardiac event risk of one to 5% is orthopedic surgery. As a frame of reference, um, in eye surgery or a colonoscopy or, a hyster uh, or any kind of scoping or ambulatory surgery is going to be less than 1%. So if you have somebody who's weak and fragile just by sheer merit of going in for that procedure, that's a 5% cardiac risk. I know that doesn't seem like much, but let's let's count it off. If 20 people had to go in for that procedure and somebody said one of you is going to have a heart thing while you're having this procedure, that 5% gets awfully big. Huge. I mean, I like I told you before we started going, my last rotation for PT school was in the cardiac unit. And oh, yeah, you must have seen some. Uh, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, not even to mention just the sheer deconditioning after these surgeries is – it takes some people out. Like I saw some people that were strong beforehand. I had one guy, this guy was like a cowboy basically, you know, nothing would stop him. After having a surgery, he was in the cardiac ICU, ICU and I mean, he was there for 30 days, which is insane. I mean, it just takes him out. For I, I never remember this statistic, but for every day in a hospital bed, it's an extra two or three days of, of physical therapy. Mm -hmm. and to say nothing for, for complicating factors while you're in there. Um, you know, for instance, you know, if the orthopedic surgery isn't great or God forbid you're on that blood thinner, like we talked about, you might need a blood transfusion and those are not without risks either. Um, but there's a lot of other things. This is starting to turn into a, you better learn parkour. <laughs> or you, you know, I, I, we don't want to scare people here, but like, this is, this is why these, such a such a perfect countermeasure exists this is this is something that can be taught to most people this is something that uh can be empowering in this day and age the baby boomer community the one of the, the older generations i mean everyone's scared but they're especially scared yep and then somebody says okay the best thing you can do is hold up in your house and don't socialize um that isolation combined with that fear is terrifying. And the idea of teaching people this new skill is going to do two things. It's going to empower them. Oh, besides, besides, you know, hopefully keeping them safer. It's going to empower them. They're going to be a little bit more brave. I'm by myself. If I fall, I still have a fighting chance. And I think that's something that's – a, that's a great point. I think just – the mentality of learning to fall properly not only reduces your injury risk, but it gives you a new lease on life because it ups your confidence in saying, if I get into a weird, sketchy situation or, you know, you're older and you're playing with your grandkids and they surprise you all of a sudden um, and you kind of lose your balance. If you go down, you at very least know how to handle yourself to minimize injury and it just increases your confidence tenfold, I would think. Absolutely. Um... And the, the other thing is, and I, I've seen this before, I've seen, I've seen uh, senior citizen patients who, who have come in with a broken hip and they've never, they've never been hospitalized in their entire life. And it's such a shock to their system. It's, it's them saying, oh my gosh, 
I am this fragile now. And it can, it, that, that psychological edge alone can uh, really, really cut deep to say nothing for the fact that if you've never been hospitalized or even if you have, being in the hospital, by sheer merit of being in the hospital, you are at a high risk. I mean, especially now um, when, yeah. you know, the, the hospitals are just uh, landmines. I mean, we're, we're yeah. doing our best to keep people out of the hospital. Um, well, that's what we were talking about a little bit yesterday when we were messaging each other that just in these times during the coronavirus times, I mean, if, you, if someone knows how to fall, they reduce their chance of injury, which will land in the hospital. And once you're there, I mean, your chances of getting it Go crazy up. Substantially higher. I mean, yeah. substantially higher. Even if everybody does their level best, even if there's PPE abundance, which unfortunately is not the case everywhere we go. Um, I, I'm seeing articles about nurses wearing trash bags, and that's, that is a black mark on medicine that, will, that needs to be memorialized isn't the right word, but made permanent we don't get to forget that we have to carry that with us forever agreed um but there's another component too which i i don't think is just as important it's something that needs to be acknowledged it builds a connection between people who are learning the skill it's not just that you're empowered it's that you look to your left and you look to your right and you see i'm not alone i'm not the only one scared of this i am building a camaraderie with these people and I think that connection, especially in, in a time when connection is hard, I think that that that, that psychological, psychological edge cuts just as deep in the, in the other direction in our favor. I think that boost can really help people. I agree. There's a, I want to say Norway, but I, I always forget the country. There's one community program, and I believe... It's are you talking about by. the senior citizen uh, facility with the demented patients who are? Uh, no, I'm not. But I'm now I'm curious. Now I'm curious about that. Oh it's yeah, like, the one I'm talking about. We'll talk about yours after I'm done. Yeah. But there's a community falling program in Norway. I think I gotta look it up. I'll put I'll put it in the show notes after this if I uh, find it. But they start a community program. It's like eight weeks, and you have a bunch of older adults come in who are at fall risk and they start learning how to fall and do these techniques. It's one of the only things that's going on in the world that they're doing this through a, like a more of a medical lens. Um, and you see like in the pictures that are on there, you see how happy these people are, how much, how connected they feel and that it's not as scary as they may have thought it in the first place. And they're getting so much more benefits other than just reducing injury. So I'm, I'm happy you even brought that up. Absolutely. And I mean, to, to say nothing for the fact that I, I'm, there's a lot of literature out there that says learning a new skill in your older age really does help keep your memory sharp. And that's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a cheap thing to do. You don't need a lot of resources. You need a soft surface and you need somebody to teach you. And before we can start doing that, we, we got to raise awareness. Yeah. That's why, that's what I'm concerned about. And that's where this whole idea came from for me is that, you know, we met me and you met at the main warrior gym. Um, I had been doing parkour <laughs> for about, uh, I don't know, two years before that. And then we started doing it. And I mean, I think it's so important that you're a, you're an actual medical professional who knows not only the medical side, but also the, I don't want to say exercise side, but the technical side of learning the role, learning the fall appropriately. So you see both halves and see how important it is. Um, and I just don't think enough medical professionals have that, that viewpoint. Cause I mean, right now you go to a PT clinic, 
nine times out of 10, if there's a fall risk patient, they're teaching balance and teaching them strength. There's nothing, you'll never see anything with falling practically, which is, I, to me, it's like you're missing this huge subset. And as, as maybe pessimistic as it sounds, I look at falling like someone on a motorcycle, you know? It's, it's inevitable. Like, it's inevitable. You, you're going to go down either on a motorcycle or falling, whether it be from ice whether it be from just you tripping yourself up on your feet, you're going down. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's inevitable. And I mean, I think there's a lot more people out there that know that this problem exists, but uh, the thing about parkour is, and again, you, you've been doing this longer. The thing about parkour is it gets confused with pre-running a lot where everyone thinks, oh, that's just a bunch of flips. And as I understand parkour with what limited history I have on the topic, parkour was designed to be, above all else, functional movement. And the problem is, you know, when people think parkour, they think of uh, that, that part in that James Bond movie or uh, District B, District B-13. Yeah, yeah, B-13, yep. Awesome. Oh, great movie, great Fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. We are receiving no uh, no financial benefit from uh, the producers who made District B thirteen. This is solely our own opinion. Go go see District B thirteen, or at least the beginning part of it. Fantastic movie. There's a was that the American one? Because there's a of that movie. I think it was there was an American version and the original French version. Oh, French version. French. Yeah, version. I was about to say. The, I think the the new one was the exact same, like shot for shot movie, yeah. just just in English. It was. A, yeah. No. No. I see the original. So you'll, you'll watch it, you'll enjoy it. Um, but the problem is a lot of healthcare professionals don't don't know enough about parkour to know that like just simple rolls, simple, you know, core-based movements and simple balance exercises are all so fundamentally tied to the topic of parkour that um, there, there, there's something to be said and there's something that a lot of people miss. I, I, I didn't realize the fundamentals until I came to the main warrior gym. Um, mm-hmm. And I specifically chose a residency with a focus on osteopathy. Um, I mean, it, it's internal medicine residency, but there was a very strong osteopathic component to it. And the idea is that everything in the body is connected to everything else, which is pretty much the crux of the issue here. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so how do you, like, me, me and Ed were talking about this a little bit, and I want to hear your opinion on it. He was coming from more of a parkour. He's a coach. You know, he does all that stuff. Coming from someone who knows the medical side as well, how would you even get to getting this in people's brains in terms of this is a valid functional task I can teach my patients to reduce their injury risk and not look at it as, oh, this is weird parkour, YouTube fringe type stuff. You know what I mean? All right, so first I'd start by not showing them District B13. <laughs> We're going to start there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But when it comes to new medical modalities and old medical modalities, um, I, I, I use this expression all the time. I, I tell patients, you know, we're not going to knock this out in one day. We're not going to hit a home run. We're going to win this game with base hits. We're going to do a bunch of small things, and we're going to build up. And much the same way, I think that um, a modality, a new modality making the scene, something we can really use, it has to come in bits and pieces. Um, I think the idea is for physical, I think physical therapy is going to be leading the charge here. 
I think what's going to have to happen is, I think, and I know that uh, there, there's been a lot of controversy getting into what little I know about parkour movement or parkour politics. I know that Fig has uh, officially kind of planted their flag. Dang so, Fig. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we can say what we want about Fig, but the fact is now that Fig is on board, I think that Fig could uh, reach out to the, or the physical therapy uh, governing board could now reach out to Fig as governing agency to governing agency and really build something. Before that, as much as, you know, the, the cowboy and cowgirl, cow person, cow person, dude. <laughs> and come on, you know. Be politically correct, okay, Dan? This is a politically correct podcast. Don't you dare. No, it's absolutely politically correct. And you know what? How hard is it to say cow person instead of one gender? It's cow person. I, you know, just uh, the, the folks on horseback with the guns. Those, those days are behind us. And <laughs> now we've got two governing organizations that could conceivably talk to each other. And we've got people like you who are the bridge between both worlds who could design a curriculum that, um, that could really make some progress. I mean, I'm, I'm an internist with a little bit more insight than my colleagues on, in terms of parkour. And my role is going to be recommending it and, quite frankly, cheering from the sidelines. But I think mm -hmm. that with FIG, controversies aside, <laughs> and um, the governing board of physical therapy on both a nationwide, statewide, and countywide level, we could really do something special that couldn't, couldn't have been done before. And I think that when agencies start talking to each other like that, I think that's going to be the next step. At the same time, while um, I can't say this. while taking it to the streets, um, <laughs> I think that as outpatient physical therapy uh, agencies can start opening up again when things are uh, safer, um, I think that parkour adept uh, physical therapists are going to have to create their own cow person days where they start building uh, building their own programs uh, based on what they know and then comparing notes with other ones. I don't think this is going to be something that's going to start with here's the criteria, here's how you teach it. It's going to be a bunch of people uh, just like you on the ground level saying, this is what I've tried, this is what I've seen work, this is what I've seen not work. And kind of everyone putting their collective heads together. And But the, the big point here is first, getting everyone talking. And yeah. uh, I, think, I think that podcasts like this and uh, case write-ups and all that other stuff. I think that's a darn good place to start. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've looked uh, quite a bit into the research in terms of what, what's out there just for like falling research in general. It's there. It's pretty sparse though. Like it's surprisingly sparse for, cause you go and look up balance exercises to prevent falling or vestibular stuff for, you know, fall prevention and all that stuff. It's everywhere. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands. You look at falling there's maybe a couple hundred that are loosely associated with the type of following I'm talking about. And it's, it's usually based in martial arts, which is great. Um, but I think the, the techniques that are done in parkour and martial arts are marginally different for safety in the real world versus safety being thrown onto a mat during martial arts, you know? Absolutely. Um, is, is a, I, I, know, I know that in judo, the person getting thrown was called the uk, which uh, I believe is, where, is uh, from Ukemi. Yeah, I'm actually trying to write, I'm, work, I'm working on an article actually about the historical roots of Ukemi. So that's funny you bring that up. So yeah, it's the uk, and then it's, it's practicing Ukemi is being thrown. It's all about receiving a technique and stuff. And 
honestly, man, it's so hard to find where this stuff started at. It's it's not written down anywhere. No, no, there's there's a lot of history. I say just make it up, you know. Uh, if you can't find the documentation, you know, uh, I do not endorse making things up. Um, but that being said, uh, Science of Falling website is the definitive source on Ukemi, whether or not it's real. So just just be aware of that. If, if it's on my website, it's it's real. doesn't matter. Darn right. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Dr. Dan Goodman approves. There it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, um... I mean, just looking at it from a strictly medical perspective, the best way to treat a problem is prevention. Um, realistically speaking, you know, I, I looked at a lot of different branches of medicine. Um, you get guys who are in critical care. These are the patients who have a breathing tube, who have Foley's, who have uh, a bunch of different IVs in them. And, you know, you look and you say, you think these are the guys that really save lives and they definitely are. But I, I still adamantly believe the true lifesavers are the primary care doctors who are the ones out there who are getting, getting these patients to a, a safe and healthy place where they won't need to go to critical care 99% of the time. And by the same token, primary care in this case is teaching better ways of falling. The only thing I can think of for why there isn't a lot of research is, you know, you can treat, you can practice, you can create different, um, different experiments for building core strength and balance protocols i just i and again this is this is something i'm just thinking about now trying to cook up a good clean controlled falling research study that's going to be a little bit harder like trying to replicate a fall trying to make it ethical will be easy enough without mat with mats but the problem is if somebody's walking on a nice squishy mat how close is it to real um to real uh to real life when you know Everyone these days loves hardwood floors. I, it's true. It's it's tricky. It's tricky. And that's a bit. That's been the big issue with a lot of the research I've found. They they usually talk about it saying, for ethical purposes, they had to do a sort of switch on part of their protocol to make it safer for the patient. Um, some of them are pretty ingenious. Some of them use accelerometers and still have helmets and everything, so they can have the impact without the actual impact of the skull or anything like that but um yeah nothing's really ever gonna imitate a real fall um and there's a lot of ones that are looking at videos of people falling in like um i was gonna say elderly homes but that's not the word uh why am i going skilled blank? Nursing facility skill sniff skilled nursing facility. thank you i just went i had a nice little brain fart there for a second oh you and um, me I, I live with those now <laughs> uh but yeah those ones are really interesting because they're actually watching video of people following and that's probably the only way you can get close to creating a real fall in a scientific manner without purposely hurting somebody. And then that's, that's the other crux of the issue. The fundamental component of medicine in all branches is first do no harm. You know, we can't, we can't, we can't just, you know, trip people and see how they fall and then document it. That's uh, it's not the way things work. Nope. Not unless you want to lose your license really quick. Nope. But yeah, I don't know. I got anything else to say, man? That's a, I think that was a pretty dang good conversation. Right back at you, buddy. Um, <laughs> if, if, uh, I'll, I'll plug. I'll plug. Uh, I'll plug the uh, the big messages here. Plug whatever so, you want. Flatten the curve. Stay home. Do not go out unless you absolutely have to. Connect with each other through the internet. The only way we're going to get through this is together, and that seems so paradoxical when we're all stuck in our own homes, isolated, 
but you can reach out, you can connect, show everyone how much you love them and they'll show, the, show you how much they love you. We're all in this together. We will get through this, but we just need to stay the course. Flat anchor. Oh, and wash your gosh darn hands. Wash your gosh darn hands. Wash your oh. gosh darn hands. And watch uh, District 13. <laughs> District 13, yeah. Oh, yeah. District 13. District. Was it District? Oh, this District. Oh, Take okay. it. Hold on. Dr. Google, one more time. Dr. Google, one more time. District. District 13. Yeah. District That's... 13. Got it. Love it. Great movie. Great movie. I You're love it. The opening bit. Because that, ah, oh, so cool. It's the whole movie's awesome. I mean, oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Once once you learn how to roll, you'll you'll appreciate the the movie a lot better. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and like again, I, like, there, there was no flips. It was all parkour, no free running in that scene. I love it, man. I love it. And actually, I think the um, in the French one, the I don't want to say the original inventor of parkour, but the I think the guy who really made parkour. The Godfathers. Yeah, yeah, one of the Godfathers David parkour. Bell. Yeah, David Bell. He is the uh, the guy in that movie. He is the parkour guy. And man, he showed it. Anyway, I, I just ruined your entire you know heartwarming no. speech there at the end with this whole District Thirteen thing. But anyway, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate you. I love you. One of my good friends. Absolutely. Um, we'll we'll go skiing next winter when things are open up again. It'll be good. I'm there. Let's do it. All right. Love you, man. Appreciate you. Take care. Appreciate it.